0: This is the Talk Theater in Chicago interview podcast. I'm your host this week, Ann Nicholson-Weber, and my guests are Helena Kays and Jay Torrance. Helena directed and Jay wrote and is a cast member of the production of Burning Bluebeard, originally developed at neofuturists now being produced by the Ruffians at Theater Wit. Um, and Jay, just to... Kick it off for people who haven't seen the show. Can you give a very brief description of what this is?
1: Sure. It's a it's a show that tells the story of the 1903 Iroquois Theater fire uh, through the lens of um, clown performers who return to the stage to try to finish the show without the tragedy. Mm-hmm. Um, that occurred, which was a, a, a terrible historical tragedy where the theater burned down, um, taking the lives of uh, 600 audience members. Mostly of them were women and children. Mm. Um, and so this was in Chicago? In Chicago, mm-hmm. right downtown. A brand new, beautiful theater was built. It's, uh, we, we were, the city was very proud of this new theater. Uh, And this was the first production in it. It was a production called Mr. Bluebeard, which was a Christmas pantomime. Um, So in my show, um, we wanted to tell the story of the fire. And I I wrote it almost as an apology to the audience from the perspective of performers who wanted to... uh, tell a beautiful story and give a gift to their audience and having it end so tragic.
0: What was the germ of the idea for this? Where When did you first encounter the tragedy and think of producing it as a clown show?
1: Sure. <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: Not an obvious choice.
1: Uh, a friend of mine who had seen a, the first play I'd written called "Roused" About the Great Circus Trainwreck, which was about another Chicago mm-hmm. historical tragedy where where a circus train had collided with a military train, and, and and these circus performers had lost their lives. He had seen that show, and he had asked me if I had ever heard of the Iroquois Theater Fire, and I hadn't. Um, so I looked it up and uh, and then just was very curious about what the performers must have thought, yeah. because I'm a performer and a writer myself. so. I, In my work, I I think I try to take on a tragedy and I I, I don't know that I, I wrestle with how do you make sense with tragedy, Mm -hmm. like real tragedy and wanting to create something that is hopeful, wanted to create a clown show, clowns, clowns and clowns performance They they have a real hopeful and a naive presence Mm -hmm, to them mm -hmm. and a real innocence to them. Uh, so I wanted to make a clown show. And it was important to me that the show ended hopeful in some way and and um, trying to pay tribute to what happened in a sort of cheerful eulogy maybe or in, um, I don't know, one last attempt to take something bad and make, make something beautiful out of it.
0: Uh-huh. You know? I think what's most distinctive about the show is the, the emotional tone and the way the way it's so ambivalent and so surprising some of the juxtapositions of feeling that you get from it with the background of this tragedy so I would say you succeeded thank you <laughs> <laughs> so Elena you were involved with the first production at, at Neo Futurists and how did you get tapped to direct it and to help develop it as I believe is the case right? yeah you know
2: yeah. Uh, We roped Jay in um, on an earlier project, this show called Daredevils, that Ryan, who plays Eddie Foy, and Anthony, who plays the man who played Bluebeard, were involved in there, and we were taking it to Theater on the Lake, and we lost a cast member to moving downstate and Mm. procreating. And so we we asked Jay if he could write some pieces for us and help us with it at Theater on the Lake, and I feel like a clear uh, ensemble and affinity for... Similar kinds of risks and creation and physical theater on stage was just formed that summer and, and we kept always trying to find ways to work together. Mm-hmm. Um, so as Jay began thinking about this script, somehow I found myself cornering the market on being a director who could work with writer performers and kind of the ways that the neo futurists developed new work, which is a pretty markedly different than sort of the new work sort of national way that new work is created where you're doing a lot of table readings and a lot of workshops and nearly zero productions. And the great thing about the neo-futurists is they just put things up. Like they're constantly creating it and putting it up in production. And I think that suits me much better. It's riskier. Mm -hmm. And I think there are things that you don't understand about a play until it's physical. Mm -hmm. And so sitting around a table is, is really, uh, I, that's not my... My skill set isn't as strong there of... Mm-hmm. I, I really like bodies in space <clears throat> a mm-hmm. lot more. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that that we already knew each other, and this just jived with both of us. And we were able to pull in, you know, Anthony and Jay that we'd worked with before, and, and Leah, who's married to Anthony, and... and was she in the Neo-Futurist yet? About to join, if not.
1: Yeah, we... Just cast her yeah, right, right when we were going into production for Burning Blueberry. But
2: obviously a friend of us artistically and uh, mm-hmm. one of the like strongest, most physical women performers I've ever met and mm-hmm. just tenacious in her attitudes and, and energy levels. And Dean, who was in the original Daredevils right. production and obviously has expanded his skill set as a mime and clown over the years since we first met so this crew just came together in a really strong way. And then Molly, who plays the fairy queen, was new. And we were sort of asking around for some people just to come and workshop with us to help mm-hmm. create material and create a langui- a clown language. And Dean knew Molly, I think. He just thought she was c- cool-looking <laughs> and like, <laughs> was really weird and interesting. Uh-huh. And uh, uh-huh. so we brought her in just to hang out with us. And then I, I feel like my memory is that character... Even a sixth person on stage, and that character was created fully because we just couldn't imagine
0: when she was there. doing
2: this thing without her. Once <clears throat> yeah. she had hung around, so it's a good note for performers. Like if people invite you to come hang around, make yourself so useful <laughs> that the playwright writes a part just for you. Right,
0: right. Um, the notes to this um, production's um, uh, program say that you that some number of the cast had just been studying um, mime with. Uh, no, sorry, Clown, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. With, uh, I wrote it down, someone I've heard of, Philippe actually. Philippe Goyer, Right, yeah. Goyer Was that a workshop in New York, by any chance? No,
1: actually, uh, it, a theater company from Canada brought him into town to yeah. Chicago and held a week-long workshop here at uh, on campus at University of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Molly Dean and I were able to take that workshop. And uh, he... Specializes in buffon, and then and what is that? Buffon is a. I'm probably not going to get this right, but it's a it's a specific type of clowning where where um, the clown is an outcast of society. Usually, they're physically deformed in some way, mm. and then what happens is there's quite a bit of audience interaction, of course, in this type of clowning. But you end up like criticizing social ills. Or being able to comment on s- taboo subject matter because you're an outsider mm-hmm, clown, mm-hmm. and in a ways you you charm or entice your audience into looking into a mirror of themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he also specializes in le jeu, which is more red nose clowning, mm-hmm. and that's more of the innocent clown. Um, who is who is hopeful and 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 naive?
0: So that's more where you ended up. it yeah. seems mm-hmm. to me
1: right? we wanted we were really particularly interested in buffon clowning. Like, but then as we were workshopping and moving through this, like we couldn't yet put our finger on exactly how to develop this kind of content in a way, or I, or I personally couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had taken, uh, I'd also taken classes with 500 Clown mm-hmm. here in mm-hmm. Chicago, which is a lot of risk physical clowning. Um, but all of that based in this like red nose naiveness. Um, so we fell into that and that seemed really useful to the show. I was curious with Buffon because this was such a tragic topic. Right. I wasn't sure how we were going to be able to talk about it. And if we had a, a crew of outsider clowns, sometimes you can get away with uh, emotional things that, um, maybe you couldn't in other ways, but we approached it through a lot of red nose work where, where we're innocent and naive and extremely hopeful and a little stupid.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe, um, Helena, could you talk a little bit about the workshop process? the first time around, and then we'll get to this remounting, which I think probably has some interesting aspects to it too. But just what, I think you spent several months, is that right? Yeah, we
2: met, and that was nice because we didn't have a goal of like having a certain amount of material created. Mm -hmm. We could just, we tend to work where we have personal goals as a group and as individuals, and then we try and create things so that we can reach those My memory is there was one of like where of having some curiosity of where you land emotionally when you're physically exhausted Mm -hmm. and what and how you communicate in that state. So we did a lot of crazy things to try and uh, create that and and see how that worked. We had
0: literally to exhaust yourselves before you. uh Yeah.
2: We also do a lot of working out. um in our workshops and in our rehearsals, because mm-hmm. there's so much of our show that requires a certain stamina and strength. Right. And also, I think <clears throat> it's attracted to, attractive to us theater as sport and thinking of, you know, how dancers prepare to perform and, and trying not to separate the two things from each other in general. But it, I think we create shows to enforce this in ourselves as mm-hmm. well, because it's a great challenge. And I think it just makes us feel alive. So mm-hmm. it's a way to like, be selfish, to do things that you want to do in your life anyway and create art through them, I I think, is a smart way to live life. So we did a lot of those kinds of things. We brought in Buffon exercises. We shared exercises. We looked at creating material. I remember an exercise where we gave... Uh, we played audience and performer, but we were giving audiences gifts and some gifts Mm -hmm. were that you were going to die. And some gifts were that you got to live. And that experience of a clown having the knowledge of what we were doing, you can see some of those things ending up in the show Mm -hmm. and, and style wise. But I do think we hit a wall in the workshops where this goal of creating the show just through clown beats didn't seem to be fulfilling the story of the show. Mm -hmm. And, and I think we, uh, Like any great process, we ran into conflicts there where we wanted something and the show sort of seemed to, the narrative of the show seemed to be asking for something else. Mm -hmm. And luckily, (coughs) Jay has such a skill set in writing words as well as creating scenarios for clowns to play out in a more improvised way that... I remember a conversation we had where I I just said, you need to let yourself do what you're really good at. Even though we had this other goal Mm -hmm. for this show that you trust that all of these other influences will make their way into the show. Mm -hmm. And, and a lot of, all of the stuff in the workshop always ends up showing its face again later somehow. Mm -hmm. But it's always a a mystery how that's going to happen exactly in any process. you look back.
1: I was fascinated with, like, we had started really early on with this gift idea. Mm -hmm. And that had, like, as a theme then ended up running through the whole script there's like people coming out of boxes like the theater popping up out of a box as a puppet show us giving these gifts that fueled the scenes and and even the contained lights and little jars like that there were lots of this gift stuff that 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 was the germ of the idea from the beginning and Mm -hmm. it ended up like finding its way as an image throughout the entire show which was cool
0: well, so so I, I think what you just told me, Helena, was when you started the workshops, there was no script at all. Is that right? That's right. When there was not even a scenario, there wasn't right. there, there wasn't anything, yeah. and so that the words, the process of starting writing words, came in quite late. Yeah, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, well, that's for really sure. interesting. Yeah, I,
2: I mean, I don't think that we plan. I don't think Jay planned initially to write a script like the one that he ended up writing, mm-hmm. or to even have us all depend on him quite as much as playwright, as an, mm-hmm. as as opposed to. The near futures have a term, creator, which I like a lot. The sort of creator of the show can have various jobs, Mm -hmm. but it's not always to actually write all the words of a show. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. But I think one of the largest things I learned in this process is that the story is going to demand what it demands, Mm -hmm. and if you try to put something on it that that doesn't quite suit it, then Mm -hmm. that seems backwards. But... I don't think any of the time headed in that direction was wasted because you can see that I feel like if we had started where Jay was just going to go home and write a script by himself in a room, the show wouldn't have landed in such a physical way right. and wouldn't have been able to navigate the emotional, the emotional journey that it does. Mm-hmm. I think when you describe the show to people, it, it's very hard to imagine. Right. What, like we were on someone's list of the top 10 funniest shows of the, that year and if you hear what it's about it's insane 600 people died That's that, funny. <laughs> or that we're being cruel and, yes, and right. i feel like we right. honor those stories which with yeah. so much grace and uh and it is still one of the funniest shows i've ever directed for sure mm-hmm. so it yeah. does both things which i think a lot of really beautiful like my, my favorite play is waiting for godot and i think it does the same when you see that show done well you're laughing all the way through right. it, and then you get kicked and then in your stomach. Yeah. yeah, and you realize your life <laughs> right. may be heading nowhere.
0: Right, right. Well, so I don't know, Jay, can you, looking back, guess what show you might have written if you had tried to just write it from scratch instead of after this workshop process? Hmm. Or maybe a better way to ask it is what are some of the things that came out of the workshop that when you went finally, directed by helena go write a script <laughs> you knew you had to take with you or was it like that i don't know
1: um i think for sure being in the workshop room and knowing these performers and getting to play with them that that, that really assists and aids the writing mm-hmm. like that i take that into the writing with me that i i had a a we flat out asked people like what are you an expert at and what do you love to do on stage and what do you hate to do at this point on stage? What are you tired of? Uh-huh. And, and so I walked away kind of knowing some personalities and, and having, yeah, having this history with, with these performers, that yes. was helpful in right. the writing that I took that away.
0: So you're writing it on them in a way you certainly wouldn't have done without the workshop. You're writing it on these performers. You're
1: Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah totally. Um, and then other than that, like, I don't know, writing is such a search anyway. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, also, one of the most interesting
2: things for me about you as a writer, if that's interesting to you, is how much music, how big a part music and, like, dance plays a part in your writing. Jay usually shows up with his it, at his shows with a, a pretty clear soundtrack. Some things are written, like, with the timing of particular music, even monologues timed to the music—they're—they're they're really not interesting. Yeah. Most shows, you know, you hire a sound designer and they begin to Design score it or it, figure yeah. it out. Mm. This one, they are intertwined mm-hmm. in ways, and and sound designers like Tutai, who Mike Tutai, who's a genius in his own right, he's able to heighten those and and clarify them. But the yeah. bass sound really comes from Jay as part of the. Script. Yeah. And I feel like workshopping helps that as well. A lot of pieces are based really in the sound and the tone of the the sort of magic of the be- piece is based in sound. And those sounds, both things with words and things without words, existed before uh, a sound designer came into play. And so mm-hmm. that's I think that's a really interesting way that also lends us into dance theater as much as regular yes. theater. Um that because it's just part of the it, for you. It's just part of the whole. And I and another thing that's interesting is there are physical manifestations of things that Jay brings with him that he then can write into the script. You know that chair dance that happens during the fire that came early in workshops and people offered. We had all the cast members create an eight count and you know, we started with just sort of moves of being in these chairs with fires and it was a whole process. And even now when they run that dance pre-show every day, cause it's a really complicated mm. order of mm-hmm. moves. Um, when they run that in dance call, they, they name them by the name of the actor who originally created oh, the that's move. Cool. So yeah. they're like Anthony, 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 J, J, Anthony, J. you know, uh-huh. like they name whose moves they were. And that's a pretty Great example of like a seed from Jay as a playwright moving into a ensemble created piece, and then sort of handed back to Jay uh-huh. to sort out, and then handed over to me to sort of clean and edit. And right. it's a process that, when you name it like that, it seems very orderly. But it's only in retrospect that you can right. look back oh, and see. Oh, that's what we did. <laughs> right. Yeah, that
0: yeah. it worked. So. Yeah. Right. Well, so what was your role in? Um, in workshop and in then as you said polishing, if you have essentially the playwright there, are they his workshops or are they yeah that's the, a the good directors? question.
2: You know what's nice about this gang is on some levels it's nobody's and everyone's. Um, mm-hmm. But I hate uh, I don't like when things are unstructured. So I think one thing that I bring to that group is that I want to know what it is that we're working towards and mm-hmm. what we're doing mm-hmm. and and how that's going to aid the product that we're reaching for. And I tend to keep an eye on sort of goals and time. So that was this process. It's really different on different plays. Uh But, yeah, this was a more like I was pushing us towards finding something that we can actually use in performance
0: near the end there. So not just screwing around having fun. <laughs>
2: yeah. But also, or creating an atmosphere where we feel like we're just screwing around and having fun. But I, so only I carry the weight of
0: uh-huh. like, Making sure better, it's moving in a direction. Go somewhere. Yeah. Right.
1: So like, I remember lots of conversations that were just crucial to me in terms of Helena helping me decipher what was important in, in terms of focusing on it. Our conversations in that workshop and early rehearsal process, where we were honing in on exactly how the script needs to be structured, and then I can run away and take an assignment pretty easily, or uh, try to like wrestle it when it's when it's specific. Yeah, yeah.
2: Structure on this play was really hard. I mean, it was almost dire. We were way late in the game mm-hmm. before we discovered it, and it was you know there's some choices that were made, especially near the end, that were. Structure wise, we still hadn't even had quite enough time yet to fully answer for ourselves. And that's a reason that it's so great to revisit this now. Yes. Because I, for kind of, because it went so well the first run and it felt so wonderful and successful. I think I had forgotten that we opened it under such fear, really, uh-huh. <laughs> that it wasn't going to work at all. On the it precipice, it was such a strange, <laughs> right. you know, it's such a strange play. We didn't know if people were going to go with us right. on the journey. Right. right.
1: We were editing that last moment before we, before the performers bust out of the theater. We were editing that last scene. Yeah, we nearly cut things that we
2: it. now know we definitely we
0: shouldn't have. So done. glad we didn't cut. Mm-hmm. Did you did you make any major changes to the script this time?
1: We rewrote the the song about how to get out of the theater. Mm. Um, originally, that, that song and scene um, tackled the Neo-Futurarium space, yeah, where right. it was all about how do you get out of the Neo-Futurarium, which was really wonderful <laughs> was because so funny. that place, uh, you <laughs> know, it, people... It heightened the idea that you were an audience in a place that, like maybe is a little crazy for a theater space right right. we knew we couldn't you know take that song with us as we're at theater wit now um, so we, we re, I rewrote uh, we talked a lot about ideas and we came up with a new song uh, that um, addresses what went on in the Iroquois so you
0: did the historical research mm-hmm. and it's actually what was there yeah um you you are mounting this under the name of the Ruffians. Is that a real company that's going to do other work, or was that really just for this remount? Yeah, you know it's
2: a real company. <laughs> so I'm deciding now. Yeah. You know, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, uh-huh. I know for me, this came at, at, at a late meeting about whether or not we wanted to remount the show. Mm-hmm. The, a group of us and you know. There was drinking involved and, cause we're all really busy. Like uh-huh. we're all mid-career people and, and it's, it takes a lot to make a sort of working class living as a artist in Chicago. And we're all sort of at that place in our life, So it just means that you're really busy kind of all the time in order to survive. And, uh, uh, so it's a foolish, we're not 22, just out of undergrad, right. starting at a theater company in Chicago because we don't realize yet that,
0: that that's a crazy we don't thing need to do. Another one, <laughs> right.
2: I had said, you know, some dream of mine, and in, in 10 more years when I retire, I'm gonna. Uh, I think we should start our own company where we just make this kind of work that mm-hmm. is sometimes also not terrible. This show is really accessible to a lot of different kinds of people, but this kind of work isn't always accessible. Right. If you move farther into dance theater or into more experimental clown work, that audience is smaller. Mm-hmm. But this would be the kind of work we would make all the time mm-hmm. if, if you could make a living doing that. And so mm-hmm. I, I think this company is actually the, the name of a wish. That someday maybe this is how you'll make your living all the time. And we're just waiting for one of us to step forward to say what the next, the
0: next thing. Yeah, thing is right, going to be. And right. then I
2: think we'll all jump on board.
0: Um, having done it at Neo Futures, originally you had a Neo Futures audience, and now you have presumably a different kind of audience. Has it, has it felt like that? Has it felt like it's, to, and you can say this, most playwrights don't see every, produ- every performance, but you're in it, so yeah. you
1: do. It, it doesn't. And that was, it doesn't feel different. Mm-hmm. And that was our hope. Our hope was to reach an audience, taking it to a new space that maybe is a little bit more just even physically accessible to yeah. people. Yeah. Um, that maybe we would be able to reach more of the city. Because mm-hmm. um, it's a Chicago story and we just had a, a real desire for people to come and see it. Uh, so... It feels like a mix of both. I mean, we still see I I I still see uh, young people but maybe um in some of the matinees and stuff, we see a variety, a new variety of mm-hmm. audience members mm-hmm. coming and seeing Because the
0: neo-futurist audience is relatively young, you were saying. Yeah, yeah.
1: right. They hit from and like And they're
0: really expecting something
2: strange. Right. Like they are going right. to that theater because they want some non-traditional theater. Right. And it is really intriguing to move shows like that out of that space. Exactly, yeah. Where yeah. then your expectation is just going to the theater and right. how much information you have. Like, one of the previews I saw, there were two people who weren't, hadn't informed themselves a lot about what they were seeing. And they did say on their way out, that was so weird. Like, they loved it. (laughs) Yeah. But it was maybe the weirdest thing they They saw. And I think for Jay and I, it's a pretty straightforward thing Uh to us, like, on our scale.
1: Right, right. I've been judging the temperature of each performance by eyeballing the saints who are sitting in the audience <laughs> uh-huh. yeah, right. uh-huh. who just like, uh, 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 consistently, uh, love the show. Uh, uh-huh. but you also, we come out of the gate really going and uh-huh. we're like silly and a little irreverent and very clownish. And, and so like, and we interact right off the bat right. with people. And so some nights, yeah, people are resistant and they feel like a different type of audience than what we would have in yes. the neo Futurarium, But, but, they they enter in. Like right, right.
0: Well, my very last question, um, Jay, for you to have developed this show as a playwright and also a performer, that seems to me very crucial to how it must have gone. I mean, and you talked about how the importance of having Helena there because she was not in the thick of it. She could sit back and look, which normally a playwright would be doing in a workshop. Normally, playwright playwright's sitting on the other side of the footlights and learning from what he sees. So... What is what is the difference for you? I don't know if you've worked that way. Do you always are you always in the show?
1: <laughs> uh, I have been in the shows that I've written. I think uh-huh. it comes from the background of
0: my New, work with the neo-futurists.
1: Yeah. Um, I love the collaborative process. I like I like bringing something to the table and knowing that like everyone else in the room can take it 10 steps further than right. my imagination. I just take it as far as I can and then I love bringing it to the room and then having it grow. Mm -hmm. That's the one time in the process where I then feel relief as a playwright Uh is when I finally get pass
0: off the burden. (laughs) I do. And then
1: I get, get to kind of switch roles and stuff. Mm -hmm. But then throughout the whole thing, we still have these conversations and stuff on the uh, side on performing. I think the irony is that it would
2: seem opposite, but it requires like for Jay to do both. It actually is due to his like lack of ego. To be able to take notes on both realms, to be able to hand things off and entrust them and then Mm -hmm. be able to hand notes back over in a generous way. Uh, I I think that uh, there are a lot of playwrights I know who wouldn't be capable of doing that because they can't, for good reason, like they can't let go of their play. That's the thing that they own and protect at all times. Mm -hmm. And I think it does require someone who really is sincerely open to the entire group coming in and helping to shape what the product is. And if you weren't able to do that, I don't think it would be good for you to be in the shows. And I often, the last show we worked on together too, I, I, was, I sort of want Jay in it all the time because I like him as a performer so much. Yeah. And it's a great way to have the playwright in the room, but also be really entrenched in what it feels like to be doing the play. Mm-hmm. And I think that serves the writing in a way that being outside of it doesn't. Not that it's better or worse, it's just a, a different, different way yeah. to be a playwright and...
0: And Probably results in different kinds of work. It I does, would imagine.
2: yeah. And such a respect for the performer's job. Mm-hmm. I think directors and writers forget sometimes where the how much vulnerability the performers have, yeah. and how much they have at stake. Right. And having a real, healthy respect for that work and that expertise aids, I think, the whole process. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, Well, it's great for you that you've been able to reproduce it. And I I didn't see the original production, but I understand you've been able to take the design further and it sounds like polish the script a little bit. And the result, I can say, having only seen the one, is is really a moving and interesting show. Thanks. Thanks for joining me to talk about it. Thanks for coming.
1: Thank you.